I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. A couple of weeks ago, I was awarded Practitioner of the Year by the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. It's an incredible honour and one that I'm really very grateful to the CIPR for. And yet, there's a part of me that doesn't really believe I'm worthy of that award. A voice in my head says, you don't really deserve that. And when people ask me about it, I dismiss it by telling them that winning awards is as much about how you write the entry as the work you're entering. According to a report by the American Psychological Association, as many as 70% of people will experience imposter syndrome at some point in their lives. Symptoms include feeling inadequate, self-doubt and a sense of intellectual fraudulence that overrides success or proof of competence. In marketing circles, where it's very easy to compare yourself with others' supposedly superior creativity or knowledge, imposter syndrome seems to be extremely common, perhaps even more so than in the general population. And at a time when revenues are falling and redundancies are increasing, self-belief could be a very important asset for agency owners who are looking to evolve their business models or in-house personnel needing to change existing activity and processes and those looking for new positions. Today's guest is the founder of Flowjo.co, Tiffany De Silva. She's been in digital marketing for over 15 years since building an e-commerce website when she was just nine years old, and she speaks regularly about her own experiences of imposter syndrome. I asked her where her interest in digital marketing came from and how that grew into a career. It was an accident, actually. Tiffany told me that she started creating websites as a kid and became fascinated by the internet very early on. It was just a thing that she did. Eventually, she got a job as a secretary in a web development firm, simply because she wanted to be close to the internet. One day, they were trying to rank a poker site, uh, and they looked. They were like fighting about how to rank it, and I was sitting there going, "Guys, guys, have you tried this? Have you tried that?" And finally, the designer's like, "Why don't we listen to her? Like, she seems to know what she's doing. Like, she seems to know SEO." I'm like, "I don't know what that is, but you need to check. Go into title in the code and do this." And so, as soon as they kind of figured out that I knew this thing, uh, they realized they'll just teach me the words later. After working in SEO for that organization for a while, Tiffany moved to a large publishing company where she worked in link building and SEO and pay-per-click. This gave her full reign to learn all the areas of digital marketing in a very interesting place where she had full autonomy and was allowed, in her words, just to play. Now, she never had any formal training in SEO or search engine marketing, but she learned on the job in a very competitive environment where she just learned from others and through experimentation. She says the people who succeeded in the Toronto area she lives and works in are the people who just kept asking each other and who were the most curious. This is what drove and pushed her. But despite her success and her ability, Tiffany started to doubt herself a few years into her career. 
suddenly I was in a spot where everyone was looking at me for the first time and, you know, they were expecting things from me in a completely different way. I was in a more director role. So suddenly being a woman, uh, I was like a woman in tech and I was like a percentage, like a very low percentage of the people in my level that were women. And so suddenly I had to be everything, (laughs) you know, it was just a lot of pressure. And I just started to kind of fall apart slowly where, you know, all of a sudden every fail that you have, the failing I used to do, you know, I'd fail 50 times a day and then learn and then be able to do well. But suddenly I would fail once and people would notice and ask me about it. And I didn't have that momentum where I could just get out of the fail. And so that really started changing the way I looked at marketing. It made me almost not even like it anymore. Do you think that was pressure put on you from other people or was it self-imposed pressure? That's that's the interesting thing about imposter syndrome. It all comes from whatever experience you're bringing into it. So for me, it was pressure I did put on myself. I, I'm the first person in my family to go to university, to uh, not only university, but go to grad school, to be in tech, to live on my own, to do all these things. So I, I didn't want to fail because you know people were watching me. And then going into a unicorn startup where everyone was doing amazing things and they were constantly showing these recognition and, and don't get me wrong. I love recognizing people, but seeing where they were at and feeling like you didn't have the same uh, momentum and the same growth, uh, it just started to make you feel even worse. So putting those two things together, I think just ended up spiraling <laughs> faster than I would have liked. Yeah. So you were effectively compared, and this is what we all do. I know we all do this, and I'm as guilty of this as, as everyone else, but comparing yourself to other people, right? So you're looking at other people doing not necessarily your job even, but other jobs around you and thinking, my God, I don't deserve to be here. Yeah. And you don't want to tell anyone that you feel this way. No, no, no. Yeah. That's the hardest part because if you, if you admit it, then they're all going to go, you know what? You're lucky to be here. Why are you squandering it? Like get it together. And so I, I really felt for the first time, and I'm, I'm more of a, a sharer. Obviously I get on the stage and I talk about such a vulnerable thing. So I am just naturally like that. So having, you know, to be closed up like I was, was really affecting me mentally and making me depressed. Like, cause I couldn't really feel like I could tell my manager that I was feeling this way, which is, it's tough. Yeah. When we talk about imposter syndrome, I mean, some of the things that we, I suppose that it manifests as is, is thinking what, that you're, you're lucky, you're, you're being self-critical, like you say, thinking, I'm, I'm not good enough for this. Uh, I mean, what role do you think that, that kind of fear plays in this? Well, it it's all fear, right? It's like there's a New York Times questionnaire uh, under imposter syndrome that I use in my talks that I do. And because people don't really necessarily know what imposter syndrome is, but there's these okay. sentences that we say to ourselves in our brain. Like, I'm afraid people important to me may find out that I'm not as capable as I am. I feel my success has been due to some kind of luck. The reason I got in the position was because I was in the right place at the right time. Or I tend to remember the incidents in which I've done my worst more than I've done my best. And I'm afraid <laughs> yeah. people <laughs> important to me you may find out that I'm not as capable as I think I am and I'm just not good enough. And so these things that we're saying to ourselves, you know, every day are uh, that's imposter syndrome. And depending, it's interesting because I've done this all over the world and depending on the area, I ask people to stand up if they said these things and, you know, 
it, it was interesting because in Scotland, almost everyone stood up about the family thing. So obviously family is really important. But in like a Sweden, um, it was all about, I tend to remember the incidents in which I've done my worst uh, more than the times I've done my best. So you can learn a lot about the culture just by who stands up when. Uh, And so it's different things that are causing this imposter syndrome, which I found really interesting. And do you you speak mainly to, to the marketing community? I do. Uh, I wanted to kind of start internally <laughs> and work my way out. Mostly because, you know, as marketers, we're in the middle of things. We're the ones creating these messaging and, and mm-hmm. you know, we're in charge of these brands. Like, even though people are selling it, we're the ones making it. And sometimes I think that in a lot of cases as marketers, um, we're so competitive with ourselves and each other that we're almost blocking people out and, and blocking people out the right people that should be in the roles. Um, like, we always see these... Uh, brands that have made huge mistakes because they didn't have a person of color in the room and they kind of create these uh, horrible advertisements. And you're like, why did they do that? And I think a lot of it stems from being so competitive and feeling like there's only one seat at the table for certain people. And uh, you're in your mind thinking of all these things that we're, we're not creating these opportunities for other people as a result because we're just too busy in our own heads. And those people are looking at Uh, like uh, trying to get into this space where they know that they'll do amazing and they know that it's needed, but also feeling like, you know, this is a barrier that they can't come in. And I think like, uh, especially for me as someone who is cisgendered, who's white, uh, I feel awful when I look back at, you know, some of the rooms that I got, I was allowed to sit in that I didn't do a a better job of bringing people in who uh, kind of weren't there, who weren't represented. And a lot of it was because I I just couldn't see outside of it. I was just so, so worried about my own self and uh, failing that I I couldn't see past it. Yeah. Okay. Do you think that marketers are particularly susceptible to imposter syndrome from from what you've seen, uh, given that uh, okay, we're in in kind of creative jobs, and, and and I don't know. It's easy to compare what we do to other people, or is it, or or we know better or worse than any other uh, industry or set of people. I think we're similar to sales, but with us, one of the hard thing is, especially in digital marketing, is everything keeps changing so often. Yes. I always yeah. hear from people that, you know, if they're in-house for too long, they say, oh my God, I feel like everything's happening around and all I'm stuck in doing uh, is doing processes. So I could yeah. never go somewhere else uh, because, you know, I, I've, I'm too far behind. You go to an agency and they're going, you know, I'm, I've been doing all these things so quickly that I've never gone deep enough. And I don't think that I could ever get an in-house role (laughs) because I just don't know enough about anything. And so no matter where you're sitting, you're thinking that you're not good enough for the other and the grass is greener on the other side. And on top of that, you're also getting that pressure in-house or within an agency or even as a consultant to constantly be providing these massive results. But we don't have time to really think it through and um, be creative enough because we're, we're so worried about failing that we're just jumping in and you know acting before really thinking. Sure. My impression as well is that social media plays a relatively big role in this because i mean you yourself know as as marketers and pr people communications people we're all on social media and we're quite heavy users but what what it does as well as the positive sides is give you access to uh smart people and people you admire and you can build relationships with those and learn off them 
and maybe I'm speaking personally here, but it gives me <laughs> access to all the stuff that they're doing as well. Absolutely. And then I look at them and think, oh my God, I don't deserve to be among these people. And I do that <laughs> on a fairly regular basis. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the hardest. Social media bleeds into that and he's just backing up all this stuff. Yeah, I have this thing uh, that I make people do when I, we do the talk and it's like, close your eyes and I make them take three deep breaths and just kind of I slow everything down for about 15 seconds Mm -hmm. and then I'm like you're on Instagram you're scrolling through and then you see that person that you know you kind of love to hate with their perfect family (laughs) perfect and and it's like you see everyone get like that nervous laughter and I'm like that's your villain Uh, even though you know we have all these people that we look up to sometimes we've kind of created them a villain in our heads because we're getting too much access to all their wins and it's making us we're we're not able to kind of see outside of it Uh, a funny example of that was the other day uh, i was just trying to figure out for flojo i was kind of trying to design a new product so i started looking at all my competitors kind of forget about it for two days and all of a sudden all the remarketing is following me and i'm in digital i know it's remarketing right (laughs) but i started going like almost like losing my mind going oh my god look at all the products are coming out with what's going on they must be so huge they must have all the budget and then it like it took another couple days to go it's remarketing calm down (laughs) they're following you but again we forget because all those psychological triggers kind of take over and especially happens in Twitter and all those things. It, it's really about being self-aware to uh-huh. how you feel while you're looking at those things. And if it, if it's too much or if there's one person that, you know, just, you just can't right now <laughs> learning how to mute them or if it's bad enough, delete them <laughs> because we just can't like we can't do that to ourselves it's, it's not like one of those things where exposure therapy makes you better exposure therapy <laughs> makes you more depressed like that we need to learn that and i i think it's going to take another generation of people in social media to probably do this properly yeah, yeah you're probably right yeah but for now we have to uh take it upon ourselves to create those actions that make it possible So if we've built up an impression of ourselves through our work and perhaps the rewards we get from that, whether that be financial or promotions or awards, does ego have a role to play in imposter syndrome? If we compare ourselves to others and feel we don't live up to them, is that just egotistic or is there more at play? Tiffany says that at every talk she does, at least three quarters of the room stands up to admit they suffer from these feelings. The others, she jokes, just haven't got there yet watching kind of people go through this, you start realizing that some of the kindest, most helpful, wonderful people are going through this too. And it's not about ego. Like those are the ones that are the most grateful. And especially when one of the surprising things about speaking is speaking to like other speakers in the back room and everyone's like, oh my God, that talk was so good. How am I supposed to get up there after them? Or you've got to be kidding (laughs) (laughs) oh how did they do it and you know i had to force myself and i think a bunch of us started forcing ourselves to just sit through all of them and just be happy for people laugh when they want you to laugh and so we are starting to help each other as speakers and uh because or else if you're sitting in the back room just watching it's gonna play like mind games with yourself and you're just gonna start feeling uh low about it so yeah i don't think it's an ego thing at all uh to be honest the people that 
are the most egotistical and narcissistic tend to be the ones that say, oh, this isn't a, a me thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's more someone else. But uh, underneath, they're kind of hiding it. Uh, they're, they're sometimes the ones that probably feel, feel it the most. They, and they can't say anything because they have uh, their pride to protect. <laughs> I think it's interesting as well. That you, you can never really tell, I don't think, who kind of suffers from imposter syndrome and who doesn't because how you um present yourself and how about you go about your work or do your speaking gigs or whatever you do it's kind of got nothing to do with it has it because i mean i I was talking to someone about the fact that we were recording this show uh and i was saying to her yeah I, i suffer from this quite badly and she said, well, I'd never have thought that of you because you know, you go on stage and you talk to people and you go in front of clients. But it, I think what it goes to show is you never know. Anyone could be kind of questioning themselves and doubting themselves at any time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and that's why I do the talk too, because I want people to know that you can be up on that stage, even though you feel that way, um, that it's kind of it's part of the course and it's just about learning how to manage it uh, because it's we we feel it no matter what we do if if you're trying and if you're passionate about what you do and you love it uh, then you kind of your your heart's in it which means that you know you feel it more if the oh, if you fail or you're looking around and you're trying to be better so i think it just puts you in this weird place where you want to compare yourself uh, to other people solely to kind of make you feel uh, to make you a better marketer but in you have the side effect or symptom that happens as a result of it sure have you ever had a problem with receiving compliments from people so say you've, you've done a great campaign or you know you've done a project that's worked out really well and, and someone has complimented you have you have you ever felt trouble accepting that or just not believing <laughs> the good stuff that people have said about you and if, if you have how have you got around that oh like all the time and i had to really learn how to say thank you uh-huh. to someone especially when i do this talk right it's not about um in the beginning it was like you know i would say oh you know it's not a big deal blah 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 i get up there but i realized that the act of someone else coming up to you and saying what they thought and saying that they liked it, well, give them that experience and respect to say thank you. Yeah. Uh, because then you don't want to make it awkward for them, number one. And when I do uh, receive compliments, I've had to start to write it down. Uh, because in the beginning, right when it happens, I feel really vulnerable and I can't really accept it. Mm-hmm. But later on, I can leave it in like a swipe file that I can look at later and really appreciate it. Uh, I have sometimes a student will come up to me uh, when I'm teaching at Mac and, you know, on an online platform, it's really hard sometimes to connect. And so I try to do things that will uh, connect more. I talk about imposter syndrome, I send discussions and stuff. So you end up getting feedback back from people saying, you know, thank you so much for doing this. And then they share their story with you. And, you know, at first I was saying like, oh my God, anyone would do it this way, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's like, no, like you work really hard (laughs) to do this. You Uh work really hard. You need to start accepting it. So I would suggest that in the beginning, it's really just about focusing on saying thank you and not like no self-deprecating humor. And also just if it's written, keep it. Uh, Keep it for a time when you can really accept it. uh, Because And don't right away uh, answer. Just allow it to sink in before you say thank you or answer. uh, Because I think it 
it's kind of shocking. We have so much negativity right now in the world that to get something positive kind of is a shock to the system. (laughs) (laughs) So just give it some time and allow it to sink in before immediately saying, yeah, thanks. Uh, You know, because I think that you're just not even enjoying the moment. So uh, I think those are probably the best ways to deal with compliments, even though how hard they could be. One of the great tips I was given uh, maybe a year or two back was to keep exactly as you say a file um, and i have just a, a document on my um on my google drive which is where i do exactly what you say if someone has said they've enjoyed i don't know a, a conference that i've put on or they love the podcast or i've done a great job for them in in some consultancy and like you say if it's written i just copy it in there and i just leave it there and let it build up and, and i have a file called good shit people say <laughs> and other people i've seen other people with with similar sort of thing it's not something I go and look at very often, to be honest, but it does help because you get then a list of stuff that people have said to you over the last two, three years, whatever. And I think at those times when you are doubting yourself, it's just a quick mm-hmm. reminder that actually maybe you've been a bit hard on yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. And the act of adding it means that I think it goes into a special place in your brain yeah. uh, and in your heart, right? It, it You have made that effort to keep it for later and it just sunk, it sinks in a little bit more, and which is, I think, really important as well. And it helped me make decisions because I was really battling this year about whether I should keep teaching um, because teaching isn't like, you know, you don't get the most money <laughs> out of <laughs> teaching. Uh, so sometimes it's a lot of hours put in, but then when I started going back and looking at some of the things people have said. And it's like, no, you have to believe that you're changing someone's career and trajectory by being there. So it made me uh, make that choice. And it's sometimes weird. It feels a little selfish to say like, I'm doing this because of the gratitude I get. But how many places um, do you really get gratitude like it it's it's so hard sometimes and I try to do it more often even to strangers and things to just be nice and kind and, and compliment other people as much as I can and I find that it, I notice it more when I get it back as a result mm-hmm. uh, but it's just it's tough it's it's you you need to kind of uh, keep these moments so that you remember when you're trying to make decisions on where your life should go One of the main messages that Tiffany seeks to communicate is the importance of leaving a legacy. Very often we're focused on this week's or this month's goals and we lose sight of what it is that we're striving towards. Instead of looking from now to the future, it's important sometimes to place yourself years into the future and think, what is it that I want to have accomplished? When you start thinking that way, it's immediately a different goal. It's sometimes money starts to kind of fade away uh, in the background. It starts to become things like I want, I want my like one father said to me, I want to when my son comes up to me and talks to me about the first time he uh, has fallen in love. I want him to say things like. Uh, this person's kind. They're uh, really smart. They're this. He's like, then I know I've done a good job as a dad. Right. And he's like, is that is that big enough for a legacy? And I was like, think of all the work that you need to do to get there. Yeah, that that's a legacy. And you know, when I look at can I make a mark in the marketing space and digital marketing space, I want it uh, to be that you know I've helped other people kind of get over 
and overcome this imposter syndrome so that we can make it a more diverse place and allow more people in uh, to the room. And But in order to do so, I mean, it takes a lot to get up on a stage and say these things and talk about your failures over and over again and, you know, yeah. on podcasts and in articles and stuff. But that's my reminder constantly. I can look ahead and say, no, you're doing this because this is what you want to accomplish. And I think that when we do that, it's just, it comes from a completely different place. And I've heard so many fun ones and to think that people have now kind of retrained where they were going and retrained their path uh, because they realized they were kind of going off because they they didn't they weren't thinking about what they wanted to accomplish in their lifetime uh, then it makes me feel good that you know I've got them kind of on course that's really good actually I mean I I did a bit of work on this again myself a couple of years ago and and the legacy if we want to call it that of, of what I came to is all about demystifying digital marketing for people because I see so many people talking and in a in an overcomplicated way about some of the stuff um, and I think you know when 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 I work with people they seem to be really pleased and grateful for just simplifying things down a bit and making it easy to understand so that's kind of I suppose if we're going to talk about a legacy that's where I set mine uh, but I've never mm-hmm. thought of it you know in a in a legacy kind of mission type way until I saw you talking about it. So it's quite interesting. Just to finish off, let's give people one tip, just one single thing to stop countering imposter syndrome. So if they can go away from this, they're feeling it, they can go away and and start doing something. My thing, which is quite simple, actually, is just to stop comparing yourself to others. Like I was saying earlier, it's very easy nowadays to look around and find people who you admire uh, and you want to be like, but it leads down a road to ruin, I think, (laughs) if that's not a bit harsh. (laughs) What would be your kind of one big thing that if you could tell people right now to go away and start doing or being? Uh, I call it getting off autopilot or kind of making sure – the unknown is known. So a lot of the things that we have in our heads, we don't even realize that we're saying to ourselves. So just spending a week and with a notebook and writing down every time you kind of get a weird thought or a, a negative thought in your head uh, and, and getting them on paper. Because I think that was that's what started me on this whole journey to find out that the things I was saying to myself, I wouldn't say to even like <laughs> my biggest enemy <laughs> or nemesis, yeah, yeah. right? It was just so mean. Uh, and so by being aware of that, then you can finally improve and start making other actions uh, as a result. So I would spend a week doing that and then uh, taking those and saying, okay, what could I say instead? And it becomes like a, if this, then that it kind of changing that neuro pathway in your brain to say, you know, if I say that, uh, no one likes me and be like, I have amazing friends who really respect and like me, you know, being able to say those things right away and stopping yourself. Oh, that's great. I think that's fantastic. And listen, take this as a compliment. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on to this show and talking about this, because I know a lot of people who think this way and suffer from this a bit. So I, I think it's great that you're out there talking about it and bringing it to people's attention. Why, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you can find out more about Tiffany on Twitter, where her username is Bella Stone. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.